Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, everybody doing okay today? Good to see you. Hey, I, just as a um, uh, personal note, I want to thank you. Uh, we had a wonderful financial year this past year um, at Hebron. We ended uh, things in a good place. And I will say this time last year, we knew we were kind of putting ourselves out there a little bit. And the folks at Hebron uh, gave to this church faithfully. And we appreciate y'all doing that. Um, it's a sacrifice on your part. It's a sacrifice towards your future. Uh, but those are treasures that you're laying up in heaven. Amen. And uh, I'm excited uh, for, for the coming year. Um, along those lines, our finance committee um, are in the back after church today. And they are handing out contribution letters. Um, if you forget that they're there, they will mail it out to you this coming week. So no worries there. But just so you know, they'll be in the, that's what they're doing um, in the back after church today. About 2,000 years ago, um, our Lord was walking this earth on his final journey with the 12 disciples. And uh, they had left the northern regions of Israel up toward Galilee. And they were on their way back down toward Jerusalem. Um, and during this time um, for, of three years of ministry, public ministry and, and the disciples traveling along with the Lord Jesus, um, he had been trying to radically transform the way they viewed themselves and the way that they viewed the world in which they lived. Um, as part of that process, the process toward radically changing their minds and their perspectives, um, the Lord gave some teaching, and one of those teachings comes to us from Matthew chapter 20, uh, verses 25 through 28. We, I preached on this text a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to stand and read it together again today. So if you would, let's stand and read together these radical changing words from the Lord Jesus, Matthew chapter 20, verse, beginning at verse 25. Here we go. Got to pop my glasses up. It's that point in life, right? But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You may be seated. Okay, well, that's the Lord Jesus radically changing the perspective, the mindset of, of the disciples, and later on of you and I as we would read and learn from these words. He's saying that, look, the whole purpose of us being in this world and being believers is to go and share the good news about Jesus, but to, in part we do that by serving others. And so the Lord wants us to radically serve one another. Jesus is telling these men that his whole purpose in living is to serve the needs of others, and that's why he left heaven, and that's why he's way on, on his way to Jerusalem, and that's why he's heading for the cross, is because we have a sin problem, and Jesus is coming to fix that sin problem. And friends, that was an act of sacrifice. That was an act of service. Now, in order for you and I to, be, to enable us to serve others, to live this kind of a life, God has given us spiritual gifts, and that's what we've been talking about over the past number of weeks. Now, uh, we defined a spiritual gift a couple weeks ago. I got the definition for you here. As a God-given ability to perform supernatural ministry for Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of the spiritual gift is so that we can glorify God, is so we can lift the name of Jesus up. Um, and so far, we've covered these three gifts. Um, we've covered the gift of apostleship, where we've linked in the gift of missionary service. We covered the gift of prophecy, 
and we covered the gift of service last week. Um, the goal of this series is to help each of us identify which of these gifts we've been given. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how each and every one of us has been given an individual gift. Some of us have been given more than one gift. And then to uh, motivate us, once we've identified what those gifts are, to motivate us to put those gifts into practice, to begin serving uh, the church and to begin serving our community um, using those gifts that God has given us. Today, we want to begin talking about two other gifts, the gifts of teaching and the gift of exhortation. Let's begin with the gift of teaching. Um, as we read through the New Testament, this gift figures in very prominently. The apostles all seem to have had this gift. Acts chapter 5 and verse 42 reads, And every day in the temple and from house to house, the apostles did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus was the Christ, and then you remember in Acts chapter 6, we talked about this last week, about how that some of the disciples were, uh, there was a little dispute going on um, within the church about whether or not the disciples would serve tables for the widows, whether or not they would help make sure that they got food provided for them. And so the church came up with this idea that, hey, look, maybe we ought to just allow the disciples to teach, and then others of us who have the gift of service will take care of the widows. Um, and so they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So again here, emphasizing that the apostles had this gift. How about the apostle Paul? The apostle Paul had the gift of teaching. He wrote much in the New Testament. When he was on his second missionary journey, Paul stayed in Corinth, Acts chapter 18 and verse 11. It says, and he stayed a year and six months doing what? Teaching, that's right, the word of God to the Christians who live there. On his third missionary journey, we see uh, Paul, Acts 19 and verse 10. It says that he stopped in Ephesus and he was teaching there in Ephesus. And this teaching continued for two years, the Bible says, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Gentiles. In fact, we know from other extra biblical accounts that Paul would spend about five hours a day, seven days a week in Ephesus teaching the Word of God. Now, I did a little bit of math. For those of you who are real quick on math, we're talking about 3,650 hours of teaching. Adam Schiff has nothing on the Apostle Paul, okay? So that would be the equivalent of you coming to church every Sunday, hearing an hour teaching in the morning, hearing an hour teaching at night, coming back to church for, for Sunday night church, and getting two hours of teaching every single Sunday. So my sermons don't just last 25 minutes or 30 minutes, but we're going to go an hour, and you're going to do that twice a day for 35 years. You would have reached the amount of teaching that the Apostle Paul was sharing with this, these people there in Ephesus. No wonder the Bible says that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Also in the New Testament, one of the prerequisites for being an elder, 1 Timothy chapter 3 tells us that the elders are apt or able to teach. So the gift of teaching figures very prominently into the New Testament. Our, our job now is to figure out, well, what in the world is this gift? Uh, what is it that God has given that he has enabled people to be able to do? And then figure out whether or not we have that gift. This, um, let me give you a definition here. The gift of teaching is the supernatural ability to communicate supernatural truth with supernatural results in people's lives. It's the, it's the supernatural ability to communicate supernatural truth with supernatural results in people's lives. Let's consider that definition for a minute. Let's talk first about supernatural ability. This is not the same as having an education, a college degree, or even a seminary degree. Uh, just because you went and got a seminary degree doesn't mean that you have the gift of teaching. Uh, like some college professor or a grade school teacher, that this is a supernatural ability, not a natural one, that we get directly from God himself. And that's why you can take a person who's a great teacher in the world, they're a great teacher in history class, 
And then you put them in a Sunday school class where they're teaching the Word of God, and it might not go so well. Because they may, they may be a good natural teacher, but they may not be as gifted for teaching the Word of God. It's not a supernatural ability uh, that they have. But rather, the, the spiritual gift there is a supernatural ability to teach supernatural truth. That is, the spiritual gift of teaching is not given to help people teach math or to teach phonics. It is given to help people teach the revealed Word of God. That's what this gift is focused for. And finally, it's not just a supernatural ability to teach supernatural truth, but it is for the purpose of producing supernatural results in people's lives. The gift of teaching is not simply a guide or guiding a small group through some biblical material or transferring some biblical information from your head into somebody else's head. That's not what this is. Rather, the gift of teaching always results in supernatural uh, life change in people's lives. When you're exercising the gift of teaching and are filled with the Spirit of God, people get saved. People repent of sin. People are convicted in their hearts of sin in their life, of, of relationships that need to be mended back together. You remember the story of Zacchaeus in the New Testament where the Lord comes and he shares with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus realizing that he's been a man who's been living far from God. And he says, you know what? I'm going to pay back for all the people that I stole money from. I'm going to pay back four times the amount of everything that I had stolen from everyone. Friends, when a person exercises the gift of, of teaching, people's value systems have changed. Their hearts are filled with joy. Their lives are touched. Things turn around. Stuff starts to pop on the inside of them. Now, this doesn't mean that people with the gift of teaching don't have to go and develop that gift. I mean, going on to school, doing additional learning, reading books, uh, participating in seminars, taking homiletics courses where you teach communication and teaching style, all that stuff is good. Studying under other teachers is good. I had a student that called me just this past week. He was in Jim Donovan, who preaches for me every once in a while here at the church. Over the last several years, he was in Jim Donovan's preaching class. And so one of his students called me and said, hey, I want to talk to you a little bit about your preaching preparation. This is one of our assignments for class. That's a good thing to do, to go and learn from other people, reading, studying the method of teaching that Jesus used in the Bible, copying those methods. That's good. Practice. Practice practice. All that is really good. It's a good thing to do. But friends, no amount of practice and no amount of education and no number of seminary classes and no amount of studying the Bible will ever take the place of the supernatural gift of teaching that God imparts to certain individuals. If you don't have the gift of teaching, you can listen to all the seminars, you can listen to all the podcasts you want. But when you get up in front of people to share the word of God, friends, if you don't have that gift of teaching, it's not going to pop in their lives. And something else that I've learned is that if you do have the gift of teaching, but you're not incredibly learned, and you don't spend uh, hours and hours and hours in seminary classes, but the fact that you have this supernatural gift that God has given you, when you go and share God's word because you've got the gift, even though you don't necessarily have as much training, it'll still pop in people's lives. You say, well, how do I know if I have this ability? How do I know if I have this gift? Well, there are certain characteristics of people that, have, that I have discovered over the years um, that seem to go along with people who have this gift. See if this lines up with you. Characteristic number one is that people who have this gift love studying the Word of God. They have a passion for studying the Word of God. Uh, they just soak up any opportunity they can get to sit and learn and discover and hear people who are more knowledgeable than them or to spend time reading God's Word themselves. Anything they can do, they love to spend time uh, studying God's Word. Number two, a second characteristic 
is not only do these people have a love for studying the Word of God, but they also have a zeal for, or a passion for communicating the Word of God to others. That is, for teaching God's Word to other people. They love doing that. They thrive on doing that. This doesn't mean that they don't get nervous. They do get nervous. It doesn't mean that they don't ever get tired. They do get tired. But it means that the greatest thrill in their life comes from teaching the eternal truths of God to God's people. And they will travel all over the world to do this. They'll travel to prisons. They'll teach large groups. They'll teach small groups. Anywhere they can get a group of people together to learn about God's Word, they're excited to be there. Uh, all the cares in their world just melt away. All the worries that they got just melt away when they have this opportunity to stand in front of a group of people or, or share around God's Word. And not only do they love the Word of God and communicate it, number three, but, obvious, but it's obvious when these people teach the Word of God that things happen in people's lives. People come with tears in their eyes saying, you know what, God really spoke to me as you were sharing around God's word. People come up with conviction saying, you know what, there's some things in my life that I need to get right when they've heard the teaching of the word of God. People come up saying, I was so discouraged, but your words really lifted me up. And the point is, friends, when a person with the gift of teaching takes the scriptures and teaches the scriptures, things pop, things happen in other folks' lives. You say, Gordon, I get what you're saying. Let's suppose for just a minute here that I have this gift. Uh, where would I start? How do I use it? In other words, what difference does this make to me? Well, I believe the very best place for us to get started, if we're trying to explore whether or not we have this gift, is teaching children in children's ministry. And you know why? Because we can always find somebody in this church who knows less than you do. And you go down to the children's ministry, and you share about God's Word with them, and, and you spend time with those, with those children. Um, you know, they're not taking notes. They're not critiquing your presentation or your performance. Um, L-O-V-E to a kid is spelled T-I-M-E, right? And to spend some time with little ones communicating Bible stories and God's truth, friends, that's a win-win-win all the way down the line. That's a great place for you to figure out whether or not you've got this gift. Now, there are other ways that you can use your gift of teaching. You can work with teenagers. You can be a small group leader at our church. You can be a discussion leader. You can work with adults facilitating Wednesday night small groups or adult Sunday school or Bible study fellowships, or you can lead a home group in your home. We need teachers there as well. But if you've never done much teaching and you want to try it out, friends, children's ministry is, the, is a wonderful place for you to begin, for you to assess whether or not this is a gift that you have. And friends, God will bless you as you use that gift and God will bless those that you're sharing it with. All right, so let's move on to the gift of exhortation, if we may. The NIV will translate this. If you're reading an NIV version, it'll translate this, Romans chapter 12, because we're following, again, you're wondering, like, how, what order, how are you figuring this out? Well, I'm just following the order that's presented in Romans chapter 12, where all these gifts are listed off. And by the way, just so you know, I'm not tapping into uh, the, the gifts that are the miraculous gifts. Uh, this series is focused more on the gifts that are the service-related gifts. It relates into kind of where we're going and the goal of this series. Uh, but the next gift that's listed there in Romans chapter 12 is the gift of exhortation, or in the NIV as it calls it, encouragement. Now, in the Greek, uh, this term really means both of those things. It means both to admonish and to encourage. Let me show you a slide here. I've got a definition for you. Um, the gift of exhortation is to call someone alongside of you to comfort them if they need that, to console them if they need that, to reassure them if that's what is needed, to encourage them 
But it also means not just encouraging and consoling someone, but it also means to warn them or to admonish someone or to rebuke someone if that is what is needed. It's kind of both of those things all wrapped up in one. And when I think of this word of exhortation, it reminds me of Andy Griffith walking down the road with his little son, Opie, and they got their fishing poles over their, over their shoulder. And you can imagine the conversation as Andy and Opie are walking down the road together. Um, Andy's speaking words into his life. He's, he's, he's building his son up. He's encouraging his son. He's telling him what, that he can accomplish great things. He's helping him dream dreams. But at the same time, he's rebuking his son for behaviors that are not right. He's calling his son out for things that are that he want, how, steering his son, guiding his son, admonishing his son, correcting him, um, and at the same time reassuring and motivating him. That's the kind of picture that I get of this gift of exhortation. That's really what this gift is like. It's a mixture of two different elements. First of all, the element of confrontation. The people who have this gift have a zeal for integrity. They have a zeal for purity, for righteousness. They, if they see somebody who's a Christian not living the way that they're supposed to be living, they feel compelled to go and say something to them to try and correct that, to help course correct what's going on there for the sake of that person. Um, however, as driven as they are to admonish, they are just as strong at offering element number two, which is the element of consolation. That is, they want to go and encourage other people. This is a... This is, um, they want to reassure those who are wavering, to encourage the discouraged. You come to this person feeling high and mighty, friends, they will splice you down to size. But on the same token, you come to this person downtrodden and feeling really discouraged about stuff, and they will build you right back up. They'll tell you that things aren't as bad as you think they are. They'll tell you that some practical tips for how you can do better. They'll throw their arm around you. They'll identify with you. And man, by the time they get done talking to you and building you back up, your chin's up, and you think you're ready to head on down the road, and you can conquer this thing that you're facing. That's the gift of exhortation that some folks have and exercise in our lives. I mean, these, are, these people are really good at putting Humpty Dumpty back together again, right? The Apostle Paul had this gift. Look, what, look with me at Acts chapter 14. Paul is on his first missionary journey, and now he's on his way back home. But instead of taking the direct route back home to Antioch, where, to his home church, Paul decides he's going to retrace his steps. He's going to backtrack to all these churches that he's planted in Lystra and Iconium and Derby. It says, Acts chapter 14 and verse 21, watch this. When they had preached the gospel, that is Paul and Barnabas, to the city of Derby and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and then to Antioch, places where the apostle Paul had already been, places where he had already taught the gospel, places where people had already received the good news about Jesus, churches were already established. Like, Paul, why do you have to go back through there? Well, that was the way the apostle Paul wanted to go. He wanted to go and admonish these people. He wanted to go and encourage these people. He was using his gift of exhortation. Verse 22 says he was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging or exhorting them to continue in the faith. You know, I can see the Apostle Paul walking into the building there in Derby where the little church was and saying, hey, you know what, everybody, we can do this. I know that persecution is coming in on this church. I know that the locals are giving y'all a hard time, but continue on. We don't want to have anybody uh, backsliding or wavering. We can do this. I can see the Apostle Paul walking into a church building and talking to the people that way, can't you? Mm -hmm. Y'all are starting to fall asleep because the heat's on, right? That's why we don't do it. In other words, Paul sat down. He took stock of their situation. They were being persecuted. They were going through difficulties. 
times were tough, and this was not lost on Paul, right? He empathized with what they were going through. He was, he, he was in touch with, with, he consoled them, he rem, and he reminded them that things were going to be okay, that they were going to make it, that God would see them through whatever difficulties they were up against. You say, well, Gordon, if I knew that I had this gift, how would I go about using it? In other words, what difference does this make to my life? Well, the best way to use this gift, friends, is person to person, person to person. Not something where you stand up in front of a group of people and you exhort everybody, right? This is more used in a relational type of way. This doesn't mean that a person that has a gift of exhortation can't be a public teacher or preacher. They can. But the gift of exhortation is best used in the personal arena. These people make great counselors, right? They can walk into a room. They can sit you down. They can tell you what it is that's not going right in your life. And sometimes it's painful to hear that truth. And then they can very truthfully just as well build you right back up and encourage you and tell you, look, this is the way things are going to go. You're going to head, head straight forward and things are going to go, go great. Dave Ramsey has this gift. Anybody ever listened to Dave Ramsey before on the radio or you participated in some of his, uh, his curriculum material before? Dave Ramsey had these people that call into the radio program. They've got $85,000 worth of student loans. They just bought a new house at $350,000, and they've got two brand-new cars sitting in the driveway, and they make $35,000 a year. And he says, hey, look, this is completely not working, and these people are crying, and they're upset because they can't make their bills at the end of the day, yet they got all these nice things. And Dave says, look, you have to sell the cars. You have to sell the house. You have to sell everything but the kids, right? And, I mean, he will cut these people down to size, and he'll have them in tears by the time, you know, he gets done with them. And finally, when they come around, and finally when they realize that, okay, this is what I need to do, then he says, hey, look, you can do this. And then next thing you know, two years later, five years later, maybe more years later, they're calling back in saying, hey, Dave, we followed your plan. We did the hard thing that was, you know, we got the extra job. We did whatever it was that was difficult for us to do. And now they scream out, we're net free, right? And they're so excited about this, and Dave encourages them. Um, friend, if you want to get somebody in your life who is a real blessing to your life, give someone who has the gift of exhortation access. Give someone who has the gift of exhortation permission to speak into your life, to say the difficult things that are hard for us to hear that we don't necessarily want to hear. We know that it's best for us to hear those things. And we give those people permission to speak into our life, and they'll admonish us when we're wrong, and they'll encourage us when we're right. These people make great small group leaders. They'll do a great job of working with people who have substance abuse or alcohol abuse, who, are, who need somebody to say, hey, look, you've got to get your life right. Uh, and they're not being real merciful in that moment. They need somebody to kind of shake them up, right? And they can confront it and encourage them at the same time. These people make great prison chaplains, men who have to go in and confront and challenge and encourage all at the same time. Again, this gift is best used on a personal level. Now, there are people here at Hebron who have this gift. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. When you start thinking about this gift, you start thinking about some of the people that are around us. We have people here at Hebron that have this gift. I know many of you who are familiar with Miss Barbara Downs. She and her husband, Glenn, have not been attending church over the last couple of years because of Glenn's health. But... Still, many of you have been in the hospital. She taught Sunday school. She probably taught many of y'all in Sunday school for the 40 or 50-some-odd years that she was teaching Sunday school, all the while long using her gift of exhortation. Uh, when you're in the hospital, many of you have gotten cards from her saying, hey, I just want to encourage you. I just want to let you know that I'm thinking about you. 
I mean, this is a lady who's got a lot going on on her plate and her own household. And yet she's thinking about you. She's thinking about others. She's thinking about other people around our church. She has a ministry of sending these little cards in the mail to encourage one another. What an uplifting thing it is to know that someone else is thinking about you. Someone else is aware of what you're going through. It is a spiritual gift. It is a God-given ability. And when we exercise that gift, when we use those gifts that God has given us, it encourages the church. It builds up the church. It's what the church needs. So friends, if you have this gift, don't be afraid to use it in people's lives. We need you to hold us accountable. We need you to speak truth into our lives. Now, I don't want 25 emails this week, Pastor Gordon, you know, the air condition, the heat, the everything else. But in any case, um, but we do need you to, to use your gift of exhortation. If it's a gift that God's given you, then put it into practice. Use that gift and speak blessing into the lives of others. We'll be better believers because you exercise your gift. Well, that's all I got for this morning. I told the guys before service today, I said it's going to be the worst close to a sermon I've ever given. But that's all I got for us this morning, and I hope that the Lord's spoken to you, and I hope you have a better idea of some of the gifts that God has poured into your life, that God has given you, that he's blessed you with, and I hope that you'll begin using those around here, um, not just in your own family. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for, uh, for revealing to us a little bit more of how we've been uh, uniquely knit together as your church. And uh, Lord, if there's some things that we have discovered about ourselves, ways that you have equipped us to serve your church, or may we, with great obedience and enthusiasm, put those gifts uh, into motion. God, we come around this table now to be reminded of your shed blood and of your broken body. We are grateful for your sacrifice. We are grateful for your desire to come and serve, to give your life as a ransom for many. Lord, in these quiet moments today, may your Holy Spirit speak words of life. May your Holy Spirit admonish. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct. We pray these things in Christ's holy name.